You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of your servants and purify our disordered affections that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Christ Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. That I may know Christ. These verses in Philippians 3 um, are, they're special to me. Uh, I'll have to say reading them and preaching them today brings some internal ache, if I'm honest with you. They, they remind me of a, of a bygone day when I was a younger Christian and the vibrancy of my faith in Christ was inflamed. You can think about the beauty of, of young faith. And during that season, as I look back in time, Philippians 3.10 was my verse. In a way, it went with me everywhere I went, even when I found myself buried under my sins once again that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death. Intimacy with the Almighty, a kind of driving desire, along with the deepest of affections for the eternal and the transcendent revealed in Jesus Christ. Everything paled in comparison to the beauty and incomparability of Jesus his power and his glory. Those were, the I feel like, the beautiful, beautiful days of early faith. But you know life it moves on, and then we age and take on more responsibilities, and life becomes more complex. And then the fires of early devotion, they flicker and they fade, and then they rekindle and, and ignite once again, and then they flicker and then they fade, and then you know the plot. At least that's been my plot. So what was once... What once came so easily in the, in the hothouse of youthful faith becomes in time, for many of us, myself included, a struggle to hold on to the promises of God in the face of life's inevitable ups and downs. And here comes the Apostle Paul this morning, aged and in prison, no less, revealing to us his heart's cry, Oh, to know Christ. What powerful words to embrace during this season of Lent. You, Jesus Christ, nothing greater, nothing nobler, nothing more satisfying. You know, St. Paul shares so much in common with another saint named Augustine. I, I, uh, I received in the mail just this week a, a newish translation of, of Augustine's confessions, and I'm just reminded of some books stand the test of time for a reason, and, and Augustine's confessions rank high on the list. They, they, this book has a pulse about it. They beat with desire and affection. And like Paul in Philippians 3, they tell us what it means to be human. We're not primarily rational creatures thinking and analyzing our way through life's big challenges. We're feelers. We're, we're lovers, desperately searching for love, Augustine tells us. We want to be loved and, and we want to love. We're, we're pining for more, and we raise the question through our lives, isn't there more? There's, there's got to be more. And Paul tells us in Philippians 3 that the more is always found in Jesus. Augustine puts it this way 
in the opening lines of his confession. I wanted to read this to you from this, this new translation. I, I, really, I really like it. This is what Augustine says. You are mighty master and to be praised with a powerful voice. Great is your goodness and of your wisdom there can be no reckoning. Yet to praise you is the desire of a human being who is some part of what you created. A human, and I like this turn of phrase here that she translated, a human hauling his deathliness in a circle. Hauling in a circle the evidence of his sin and, and the evidence that you stand against the arrogant but still immortal. A given portion of your creation longs to extol you. In yourself you rouse us, giving us delight in glorifying you because you made us with yourself as our goal. And, and here's a bumper sticker we hear it so often repeated, but here we go again. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. The Apostle Paul looked at the religious pedigree of his life, and he gives it to us in Philippians 3 in an outline and in full. Let me read it to you again. This is what Paul said. Although I myself could boast as having confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he is confident in the flesh, I mean, who says stuff like this? I have more reason. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as, as to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. I mean, this is quite an impressive resume for a first century Jew. But when Paul met Christ, his, his religious pedigree became a a sandbox at the foot of the Himalayas. I mean, who wants to play in that when I can, can go and explore that over there? Whatever things were gained for me, Paul says, these things I have counted as lost because of Christ. But Paul says even more than that. It's not just my religious pedigree or my privilege that I count as loss in view of Jesus Christ. It's more encompassing than all of that. He continues, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing compares with Jesus Christ. Paul was consumed with the truth of Christ in his person and his work. I, I, I might overstate this here. I've been thinking on this over, through the week. I, it's possible that we have a tendency, even in our own tradition, um, to focus on, on the work of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, apart from his person. We, we might run the danger of thinking of Jesus as an instrument who, who saves us or imputes to us his righteousness for our redemption, and we can embrace this work at times without reference to him, to, to, to his person. I don't want to get lost in the weeds on this topic here, um, because we, we want to embrace his saving work most definitely, thanks be to God. Yet Paul held together in perfect union the person of Jesus Christ and his saving work. Paul could outline with such depth and clarity the gospel of our Lord. And at the same time, Paul was smitten with Jesus Christ. He wanted to depart this life to behold his glory, he tells us in Philippians. He struggled mightily even at the beginning of this letter with his, his life's great conundrum. 
Should I stay here so that I can benefit the church, or should I depart to go be with Christ? And Paul does not clear his throat which of those two he prefers. It is much better, he says, to go and to be with Christ. I've, uh, I've been reading uh, over the past few weeks, in Lent actually, uh, in the journal of an Orthodox theologian named um, Alexander Schmemann. His journals are from 1973 to 1983. I've, I've got to say, I've really enjoyed them. They, they give you the sneak peek um, into the thought pattern of a man uh, devoted to Christ and his church. And Schmemann, by the way, is, is best known as a liturgical theologian, and he was a dean of a seminary, poor brother. So I've chuckled reading uh, his remarks on the fussiness of academic theology and academics in general. He recounts some time, by the way, that he spent with Alexander Solzhenitsyn in, the, in a little cottage in the Alps. I mean, the journal is loaded with gems here or there. But here's one of his entries that I read this week from January 1974. This is what Schmemann says in his journal. There seems to be an essential difference between the early Christians and us. For them, everything is in knowing Christ, in loving him. For us, everything is in the desire to be enlightened. If I'm hearing him right in what Schmemann's saying, I think he may be saying something like this. Modern humanity is smitten with knowledge, yearning to be enlightened, hell-bent on the experience that such enlightenment might bring to us. But for the early Christians, they desired to know as well, but for them, their knowledge had a clear and defined object. They wanted to know Christ. And I believe the Apostle Paul would say amen to what Shmeiman says here. Or put better, that's true, to know Christ. Everything else is a distant second. Every other facet of our being, from our quest to know and to understand, to our earthly loves and our passions, to our search for significance and meaning, they all have Christ as their end. I may be wrong on this, but it feels like such a defensive moment for many Christians. I feel this in our, in our sort of cultural moment. Traditional Christian teachings on an array of things, whether on the home or on sexual ethics, on the body, on the exclusive claims of Jesus, no one gets to the Father but through me. They can put Christians on the defensive posture within so many facets of our culture, especially when the culture attaches religious and moral significance to these what we would consider to be anti-Christian views. These are complicated matters. But I, I think if we listen to Paul this morning, he wants us to play a little more offense and, and maybe a little less defense because whatever the world has on offer either in its religious or secular apparel it pales in comparison to Christ Christ is better his way is richer his truths are more resplendent his sufferings are more genuine his resurrection and his return are are truer He's better, and our hearts are in fits of restlessness until they settle on him. The pilgrim path toward Jesus promises no easy streets. It's the fellowship of his sufferings, Paul tells us, 
But the end of the journey promises us him. Oh, that I might retain the resurrection of the dead. You know this and I do as well. Our affections need reordering again and again and again. And like the colic that I prayed at the beginning of the sermon, we plead, purify our disordered affections that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Our gospel reading this morning, John 12, gets this. Mary, the brother of Lazarus, opening up this expensive perfume and pouring it out on the feet of Jesus. She, she understood it. He's worthy of all praise, all glory, all of our affection. Mary, by her actions, attests to Paul's words to know Christ surpasses every other thing. I, um, I do like reading journals, and I, I, was, I was thinking about this in relation to Schmemann back in, in an earlier phase of my existence. I remember reading a lot of Puritan journals, uh, one, one of them in particular with, with uh, David Brainerd, which one, one could say that the journals of David Brainerd sparked the modern missionary movement. And, and I think if a modern person were to read the, the journals of David Brainerd, they'd say, this, this man is bipolar. Now, because you would read one day something like this. Oh, the, uh, I'm using inflated Puritan language here. Oh, the, the rapturous beauty of the glory of Jesus revealed in the sunset this morning. Wow, it's fantastic. And then the next day, in the throes of despair and despondency, right? Up and down, up and down. And feel the force of that. I think this is why Lent, in many ways, is a gift to us. A kind of season of life together in our common faith to reorient us again toward the reality and the beauty and the glory of what Jesus has revealed for us in his person and his work and the invitation that he gives to us to come and to feast on him once again. This is how, in that translation that I mentioned earlier, Augustine ends book six of his confessions. It's very much like these Puritan journals, so I wanted to read this to you. Oh, the twisted roads that I walked, said Augustine. Woe to my outrageous soul that hoped for something better if it withdrew from you. The soul rolls back and forth onto its back, onto one side and then another, and then onto its stomach. But every surface is hard, and you're the only rest. But look, you're here, freeing us from our unhappy wandering, setting us firmly on your track, comforting us, and saying to us, run the race, I'll carry you. I'll carry you clear to the end, and even at the end, I'll carry you. We all know these ups and downs of the soul. The gracious intervention of God when he stops us in our tracks and reorients our vision to Christ once again. Looking to Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, he will carry us all the way to the end. To know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.